The scripture today comes from Acts 16, 1 through 5. Paul went also to Derbe and to Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went from town to town, they delivered to them for observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. Our second reading is from Galatians 1, 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom by the glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Before the sermon this morning, I want to say a couple of things. One is it's really good to see you. By a, a weird scheduling series of events, I have been out of the pulpit here for a number of weeks, and I miss you when I'm not here. Now, when I'm on vacation, I miss you less than when I'm doing something else. But I do miss you a great deal, and it's great to be with you, um, and I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just grateful for you. I'm feeling that this morning, so I wanted you to know that. I also want to introduce you to someone. Uh, Jana Clack is not our new church administrator. She's our new-ish church administrator. Um, she's been here uh, now for almost a couple of months, but I wanted Jana to uh, have a chance just to stand where you could see her. Jana, would you uh, wave to everybody? Would you join me in welcoming her? Jana's husband Randy is here, their daughter Eleanor uh, is adorable and has already smiled at me this morning, and so I take that as a good sign. We're grateful for you all, and I know that you will enjoy getting to know and working with Jana. Uh, now as we prepare for this morning's sermon, I invite you to pray with and for me. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Much of the reason I have been out of the pulpit the last few weeks is we have been in a series. We are talking about the future of the church. Patrick Fallhaber was here to talk about the future of uh, worship. Rachel Stewart talked about the future of scripture, which is an interesting way to talk about it. Joya, uh, uh, Joya Abrams preached about the future of discipleship this morning. I'll be talking about the future of denominations. It is an interesting time to be a part of a denomination. Trust in our institutions across the board in this country is falling. Our outside political divisions are infecting the church like a virus. 
Outside influences are trying to control our theology like they try to control our politics. Our own United Methodist Church is locked in untenable disagreement about who gets in and who is left out, and it's people suffering the most who are the pawns. It is an even more interesting time, I think, to dream about what is to come as the church is in the significant stages of change. All over the country, all over the world, the church is changing significantly. And so it is that I have been thinking and praying and dreaming about what God would do with our denominations And as I have been dreaming about this and praying, something has not felt quite right to me. I felt a little bit off. Do you know what I mean? I've learned when I am, especially when I'm writing a sermon, that when there's a disagreement between my head and my heart, I need to set it aside for a minute and go for a walk. So that's what I did. As I was praying about this and writing, I decided to set this down and go for a walk. Now, the day that I wrote most of this sermon, it was approximately 4,000 degrees outside. And so, rather than walking around my neighborhood, as I typically do, I drove to the nearest mall, to North DeKalb Mall, and I got out of my car and I went inside and I went for a walk in the nice air conditioning. I don't know if you've been recently to North DeKalb Mall. There is not much inside of it anymore. It's become emptier and emptier. I guess that was a way of doing business that worked for us for a while in those sweet, sweet days before Amazon Prime. But it just seems that more and more tenants are leaving the mall. And to walk the mall can be a little depressing. Boarded up stores and chains in front of the entrances, all the way to the ground. You walk in the mall, and you feel loss. I mean, you can feel that loss. So many of our churches also feel that loss. Our denomination is feeling it. So many denominations, most of them, are feeling it as the church changes. And rather than thinking about how it is we are existing, examining ourselves, we so often double down on how we had done things in the past, try harder at the things that aren't working anymore. Friends, that is a prescription for wearing yourself out. And so some people look at this landscape and they say, why do we need denominations at all? It's a good question. You didn't come, for instance, to uh, worship at the United Methodist Church this morning. You came to worship at a United Methodist Church, this church. You come to a church. So it's a good question. What good are denominations at all? I mean, the truth is that in an ideal world, in a world where Christians listen to each other and listen to Jesus, In a world where we didn't get distracted by sins of power, we'd all be in the same church. Catholic, probably. We'd all get along and nobody would argue and we'd work out our differences. And i got to tell you, it shouldn't seem like that much of a stretch, but it does feel like a stretch, doesn't it? 
We have 2,000 years of Christian history to remind us of the sin of division. Our own bishop said at annual conference that if it hadn't been for church fights, we wouldn't have half of the New Testament, which is fair. Now, that doesn't mean that denominations are bad. i got to say, there's a big part of me that loves being a United Methodist Christian. I mean, don't get me wrong, I am deeply frustrated at the state of things, but I love the heart of our theology, the idea that all people are children of God, the way that we understand holiness of heart and life as something private and public, where we concern ourselves with being personally faithful, but also look out for our neighbors in ways that call us to do the work of social justice out in the world. I love our theology. My friends who are Presbyterian and Baptist and Lutheran and Roman Catholic and Congregationalist each have things they love about their own traditions as well. I don't mean that denominations are bad. I just means we, mean we sometimes make idols out of them. We forget that God's ideal for us is that we would be one. I mean, Jesus gave us a lot of commandments. But there aren't that many things he prayed for for us. And one of them was that we would be one as God is one. And so that leads me to say something that may be controversial. You decide, I guess. But while I love the United Methodist Church, that's quite a wind-up, isn't it? While I love the United Methodist Church, of the words united and Methodist, and church, the word that we most often use to describe ourselves, which is Methodist, may actually be the least important of the three. Now, this is nothing new. It's been like this since day one. I don't mean since the forming of the United Methodist Church. I mean since day one. You heard the story of the Apostle Paul joining up with Timothy, but I want to read the passage right before it where Paul separates from Barnabas. We like to celebrate that Paul went in union with Timothy and went and shared the gospel. But right before that, there was a pretty bitter argument. Here's what it says in the book of Acts. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and set out, the believers commending him to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Before there was this union with Timothy and Silas, there was an argument and a division. Of breaking off. The disagreements that separate us, friends, did not begin with the Protestant Reformation. They didn't start in 1968 with the birth of the United Methodist Church. They certainly didn't begin in February of 2019. Those disagreements began right out of the gate. I mean, I get it. It is difficult work living together. Anybody in this room ever lived with somebody before? It is not easy. As my wife reminds me on the regular. 
I think the root issue is not so much that we don't want to do the work of living together, though we may complain about how difficult that is. You know what I think the root issue is? The root issue of our division? We don't like other people telling us what to do. I mean, I don't like people telling me what to do. I know some of you, and some of you don't like people telling you what to do. We love to be the people to tell other people what to do. The fact is, the longer that I'm involved in denominational conversations in the United Methodist Church, the more I have observed this dynamic to be true. It has been really weird for people to say, you know what, I'm going to stake my claim here, but I'm leaving. I'm out of here because I don't like the way things are going, but on my way out, I'm going to make it so that you have to agree with me. Do you see how those two things don't seem to match up? It just doesn't make sense. It's weird. They spend enormous amounts of energy. We spend enormous amounts of energy imposing our will on other people. And it doesn't add up unless the whole conversation is about power which it probably is. This is why I'm so grateful for the accounts of the early church in the book of Acts and Scripture. I mean, for sure there are times in which division is necessary, if sad, but there is a difference between acknowledging your division on the one hand and then going your own way alone. Acknowledging your division is scriptural. It has a history in the church. Going your own way is not. For whatever it's worth, the most helpful instructions for what it means to be a church, I think, come from the Apostle Paul, who was our greatest evangelist. He planted and worked with many churches across Israel and into Europe. The letter to the church in Galatia, the one that we read this morning, is helpful. Because he's given the churches their instructions about how to do this very thing, about how to live together, about how to love. Now you'll notice that I said he was writing to the churches, not the church. There is no city of Galatia. It is a region. It was a network of churches that were already connected to one another. That is important. They weren't going their own way. They were working together in their respective communities to be contextual expressions of the church. You might call that the earliest form of denominationalism. And so Paul writes to these churches to help them understand how they are to live together, how they are to be a network of churches together, to be a new thing rather than just an offshoot of Judaism. And even though Paul and Barnabas had such a bitter disagreement that they parted ways. The book of Acts tells us that the churches didn't each go their own way. From town to town, Paul delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. There is always connection among churches of God. If there is no connection, it is not a church. Now, this is all to say, whatever is next for denominations, I don't think the right answer is everybody going their own way, sort of scattering like, like cockroaches in the light. Churches do this sometimes. They sometimes try to go their own way. And it tends to work really well until a crisis hits, which it always does. And then they're left unmoored. 
untied from the rest of the church. So these churches often see meteoric growth and then equally fast collapse. What's more, I don't think going your own way is faithful to the Bible. There have been connections between churches and hierarchies and standards for living together since before the New Testament was even written. The question is what to do when Paul says one thing and Barnabas says something else and nobody is willing to bend. It feels awfully familiar to me these days. And that's where the second part of Paul and Barnabas' story comes into play. This is the part from the book of Acts you heard read this morning that Carol read. Immediately after Paul and Barnabas divide, immediately after they part ways, Paul picks up Silas and then Timothy. Rather than going it alone, Paul finds people to go with him, brings them along. They go from town to town sharing the liberating good news of the love of Jesus Christ to everybody that they meet. The writer of the book of Acts tells us that as a result, and this is a quote, the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. The division may not have been good, but immediately after it, the churches grew. It doesn't mean division's good. It means division is never the last word. God has the last word. Always. When it feels in your life or in our life together that the immovable object has met the unstoppable force, God is there. God has been there throughout the history of the church. The history of our church, of the church of Jesus Christ, is one of fits and starts. We have undergone division and schism for 2,000 years. The writer Phyllis Tickle says that every 500 years, the church goes through a giant rummage sale. First, there was the collapse of the Roman Empire 500 years after the life and death of Jesus. Then, 500 years later, there was the Great Schism where the East and the Western Church split from one another. Exactly 500 years ago, exactly, we underwent the Protestant Reformation, which saw the Protestant Church split from the Catholic Church. And here we are in that cycle trying to decide where to go. We are not done yet. After the 945 service, I had a conversation with a couple of pastors who attend that service. They're United Methodist as I am. They said the problem with the rummage sale is that it's great for the folks who are buying the stuff, but when you're sitting out on the yard waiting for somebody to buy you, it's not quite so easy. For those of us who are in the church, it's not so easy when we don't have a clear picture about exactly where it is we are headed, and yet we know. That God is there. And it may not be all bad. In fact, while the nature of denominations is changing, and while it's hard, maybe there's some good to come of it. I've heard lots of people talk about how we're in a Paul and Barnabas moment. It's time for forces in the church to part ways. What if we're in a Paul and Timothy moment? When we look around to see which fellow travelers have interest in walking alongside us to do the work of God? What if we're in a Paul and Timothy moment? What if it's the case that rather than focusing on division, we were able to more unite 
with those who want to share God's love alongside us. I don't have any earthly idea who God's calling you to unite with. I don't know who God's calling all of us to reach out to, to unite with. And I don't mean to downplay our division. It's real. Union with one another is just as difficult as division. It may be even more difficult because the church is full of people and not a one of us is as easy to deal with as we would like to pretend. Being in relationships is a challenge. As somebody who's fairly new to these conversations at the denominational level, I can tell you as I look forward to General Conference next uh, uh, May that I'm looking forward to General Conference the way that I looked forward to my last root canal. It is not easy to live together. But I also know that the story of Scripture, the story of the people of God, is that even in the midst of difficult times, God is at work. In fact, if my life is any guide, the times in which God is most at work is when it feels to me like God is not at work. God is there. God is at work, churning, bubbling, preparing for something new. This is how the creative energy of God works. And at the end of the day, God is nothing if not a creator. Now, for those of us who are cradle Methodists, those of us who spend any length of time in churches connected to one another, this can be a disconcerting thing. It's a disconcerting time for everybody. It is especially disconcerting. I want to say this. For those of us who have benefited from being in power because of our race or class or gender, the church is changing. And yet it seems to me that many of those changes, while tough, may well be overdue. And it's a time like this, if I can just throw one more metaphor in, <laughs> that I remember that an egg is just an egg until it is cracked open. In order to make the omelet, you've got to crack some eggs. So we've got to decide, friends, whether we're going to crack some eggs. We've got some decisions to make, each of us. And collectively, as a United Methodist Church, will we spend our days lamenting the division of Paul and Barnabas? Or will we celebrate that which could be, that which is to come, the union of Paul and Timothy? Will we be like the Galatians who once believed that they had to ascribe to all the tenets of the Mosaic Law, focus on all the things as they used to be? Or will we look forward to that bubbling of the wild and wily Holy Spirit, the spirit that Celtic Christianity describes not as a pristine dove, but as a wild goose. Will we keep trying to lure tenants to an aging mall, or will we together acknowledge our sin Seek to do better and look for fellow travelers along the way. Friends, this is the witness of the church. It is the witness of Scripture. Dear God, let it be. Amen.